Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a Galactic Football League novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies! Here we are with episode number 17 of The Stone Wolves. But you know what? You know what? This is episode 1300 of the Scott Sigler Audiobooks podcast. That's right. 1,300 episode drops since 2005. That's roughly 82 episodes a year, roughly seven a month. That is a lot of stuff and a lot of fiction, my friends. And we are only a few months away from starting our 17th year of podcasting. That happens, of course, on April 1st, 2022. A real girl herself and I are glad you are here, glad you are listening. If you're an OJ and you've been listening since back in the day, we love you. If you're a new fan and you just found us, we love you too. And we love doing this for you. Hey, did you guys know that I directed a rock video? That is right. I am the Quentin Tarantino of my time. Only on a budget of about 100 bucks and some discount hot dogs from Walmart. My dramatic directorial debut is for the song called Run for the band Super Weapon. That's my cousin Mr. Merciless's band. I think you might dig it. You can see the video over at superweaponband.com. It's right on the homepage. First thing there, check it out. It's very bloody. It's very bloody. I describe my directorial style as grindhouse noir. The video is campy. The video is ridiculous. I hope you watch it. And I hope you dig it. If you do watch it, though, please click like. Please leave a comment. Those things will help out the band. All right, junkies. Let me get you caught up on the story so far. And then we're going to celebrate, celebrate 1300. Previously on The Stone Wolves. Killian and his crew have followed Fanaka into the borehole where they found red wire in his cell. Cold naked, and beaten. Can they get him out before the Kretorakian prison guards swarm in on everyone? Find out next on The Stone Wolves, episode number 17. Zanz Schmeck had gone up the elevator shaft to scout for danger. Beans was waiting at the torched open elevator doors. Oh my holy holy milkiness, the Sklorno said. It's truly you! Perhaps the big schmeck meant to start jumping up and down, but without gravity, the jump up bounced the mismatched metal frame off the ceiling. Oh yes, 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 yes! Barely, I have seen the face of my god! It is as pure as the untouched snows of the moon of Cassimium, as radiant as Donati's star, as- Gamma, get it together, Killian snapped. Hero worship can wait. Get up that shaft and help Beta. G-g-g-g-going! The ambulatory pile of junk slipped into the elevator shaft and shot upward. Almost there, old friend, Killian said. Delta, help me take him up. Fanaka holstered her pistol. Even in the faint light, he saw the look on her face. Furious yet grim, determined. She slid under Redwire's right arm, Killian, under his left. 
Using their free arms to guide them, Killer and Hopscotch pushed off and floated up the elevator shaft. Aya was finishing her work just as Zan flew through the access hatch. They are right behind us, the teddy bear-headed dragonfly Schmeck said. How much time do we have? Very little, Aya said. They have three programmers trying to regain control, fighting to get the primary power plant back online. I've got them blocked for maybe another four minutes max. I focus my efforts on locking down all ships in the primary landing shaft, including their fighters. It will be at least an hour before they can launch anything. Beans's bulky schmeck came through the hatch. It's his milkiness. He's alive. He's here. He's... Gamma, be quiet, Zan said. Take control of my unit. I need my full attention centered on liftoff prep. Zan Schmeck went limp, an interconnected pile of spare parts floating in zero-g. Got it, Bean said. His metal hands grabbed Zan Schmeck, started lashing it to his big metal chest. Banaka came through next, as graceful as if she'd been born and raised in zero-g. She turned, helped a very white, very naked man wearing Skipper's fancy cloak, then Skipper himself came through. Dr. Sackacorn slipped past them all. Awkward in the lack of gravity, she quietly pulled the hatch shut and sealed it. At least for the moment, they were safe from the roving band of bats. That safety wouldn't last long. Get your asses moving, Sackacorn said. I'll see you to the maintenance area. You pay me. Then I have to return to my quarters before they get this place online again. Not so much confidence in the good doctor's voice now. This wasn't her plan. She was on the edge of being discovered. Sackacorn pushed off and floated down the maintenance tunnel, back the way they'd come, toward the secondary landing shaft. Let's go, Fanaka said. Alpha, take the package. You can move faster than he can in here. Was Fanaka in charge now? Aya didn't know, but Skipper scooped Goldman into a fireman's carry and launched himself through the air down the maintenance tunnel. In minutes, Aya and the others reached the big open area with the mining crabs. Sackacorn was there, waiting, a worried look on her face that might as well have been a stopwatch ticking down to zero. Jets of steam let off from pressure valve pipes here and there. The dim, overhead light lit up the mist. Aya tried to picture how much time they had left before the facility's power returned in full. Maybe a minute or two, maybe only seconds. Unless she was at a physical Nemeric node, there was no way to know. The telltale sign would be the return of gravity. Once everyone felt their own weight again, Aya and Sackacorn agreed it was only ten minutes, fifteen at the most, before the bats swarmed through the maintenance tunnels and route to checking the secondary landing shaft. You have your prisoner, Sackacorn said. Now, pay me! Aya realized she hadn't asked how Sackacorn would be paid. A contract box was binding, even if Sackacorn didn't use her real name, but transactions made with one wouldn't register in the quiescence. Not until that contract box was carried out of the dead zone to reconnect with any signal tied into the larger galactic banking system. And could Sackacorn trust Fanaka to carry that box out and not destroy it before it was free of the quiescence? Not likely. Aya adjusted her tough luck gun's position. The thing was bulky enough in regular G, 
and damn hard to manage when her every motion gave it inertia that sent it moving this way or that. She stood next to Beans and Skipper, who had Goldman over his shoulder, the Towerite's white legs sticking out from beneath Skipper's bulky cloak. Without warning, gravity returned. I stumbled, almost fell. Beans toppled onto a schmeck back. Fanaka and Skipper managed the transition easily, while Sakakorn tripped, landed hard on her knee. She let out a hiss of pain. Put the package down, Fanaka said to Skipper. There was something off about her voice, something that made Aya's skin crawl. Skipper didn't seem to notice. He set the cloak-clad, beat-up football player on his feet. We're almost out, Skipper said to him, smiling. Then you and I got some catching up to do. I can't believe this is real, Goldman said. I, I can't believe you guys came for me. Looking at the damage to Goldman's face, Aya's heart sank for the man. The bats beat you up pretty bad, Anaka said. Were they interrogating you? Goldman shook his head. The questioning they did with electric shocks. Bad stuff. All the beatings came from the guards. That one guard, mostly. Carmago, Sakakorn said. I told you he was a piece of garbage. Enough with this. You all need to get out of here, and I need to go. So give me my gems now. Gems? With the quiescence blocking any kind of connection to the Galactic Communications Network, which would be needed for electronic payments, payment in gemstones or other precious materials was smart. Smart and almost untraceable. A big win for Sakakorn. If she had a secure place to stash them, she could wait for the right time to get them off the station. Very smart. So why was Skipper giving Fanaka such an odd look? His hands subtly reached for his stun gun, but Fanaka's hands moved far faster. She flicked her arms forward. Discs of metal shot out from the sleeves of her cloak. One disc hit the dragonfly schmeck lashed to Beans's chest and stayed there. The other hit his suit's right leg. Mag grenades. Aya saw Skipper turning away, covering Goldman with his own body, just as a blinding flash erupted, accompanied by a bang that echoed through the cavernous system. Aya blinked, spots filling her vision, even as her hands fumbled for her tough luck gun. She brought it up, blinking madly, looking for a target. The target found her first. The sound of a handgun firing. Aya felt a sledgehammer smack into her thigh. She fell to her side. Aya looked at her thigh. Blood spread across her pants leg. She'd been shot. Don't move or she's dead, Fanaka said. Aya looked up, realized Fanaka was talking to Skipper. Skipper stood there, his big chest blocking any shot at Goldman. Aya's world spun, wavered. Still no pain, although she knew it was coming. She'd never been shot before, but she'd seen plenty of people who had been. Beans' schmeck was missing a leg, ripped to pieces at the hip. Liquid sprayed from a dozen severed hoses. Zan's schmeck was reduced to jagged chunks scattered across the floor. The severed teddy bear had smoldered, one eye blown out, the white fur at the severed neck singed and blackened. Skipper, 
just standing there. Fanaka, only a few feet away, her pistol leveled at Aya's face. The woman's metal eye glowed red. Fanaka reached out a foot, hooked her heel in the strap of the tough luck gun, and dragged it closer to her, out of Aya's reach. Epsilon, Skipper said. Press down on your wound. Wound? Oh, that's right. She'd been shot. Aya glanced at her bloody leg. Her entire thigh was now soaked, the wetness reflecting the lights from above. Aya spoke in a voice that didn't sound like hers. But it'll hurt. Press down now. Skipper said it calmly enough, but the words were so intense, so overwhelming he might as well have been shouting in her face. Aya reached down, pressed the heel of her hand against the wound. Ah, there was the pain, and plenty of it. Getting shot hurt. Delta, the skipper said, you need to think this through. Just as there had been something off in Fanaka's voice, now there was something off in the skipper's. He was a terrifying man, yet his tone, the tightness of his words, it made Aya understand that deep down inside, he was the killer Fanaka claimed he was. I always do, Fanaka said. You know that. This was an impossible mission, and I accomplished it by thinking things through. How do you think a Nemeric whiz kid wound up on your crew? For a moment, Aya forgot about the gunshot wound. Parts of her mind flashed back to that day when the Nadvig was closing in on her, when she'd known she had hours to live at most. Then the call came in. The call to go to the mall. That rescue was on the way. You were the freak, Aya said. You were the one that told me to go to the mall? That help was coming? Fanaka nodded. But how? Aya blinked at a brief wave of dizziness. How did you know about the Nadvig? How did you know of my experience with the Nemeric? Because I'm the bench that knows everything, Fanaka said. I kind of like the way that Gamma put it. Less caustic. I looked at Skipper and Goldman. This was news to them, clearly. But at the same time, they didn't seem the least bit surprised. Fanaka had known about the Fafner Project, about the dragon tattoo. She had said she'd listened to the Rara Avis Radcast. What Fanaka had pulled off made chess look like a game of tic-tac-toe with only four squares. I knew the borehole had a Nemeric, and I needed to make sure I could get to the package, Fanaka said. I pulled the right strings to get your shiny new comms expert on your crew, Alpha, and you had no idea. I knew I could manipulate you to take on a mission that no one in their right mind would take. I used a proxy to hire you to transport the data cube across the galaxy right into my hands. The plan worked only because, in the end, you've gone soft. Adopt enough strays and you'll get bit. Pain started to throw hints of its oncoming intensity Yet Aya couldn't tear her focus from Fanaka's face. The woman was calm, 
in total control, but she wasn't enjoying this. This was something she didn't want to do, but she would see it to completion regardless. Bedbug, Fanaka called the beans Ishmek. The only way your alabaster god lives through this is if you do exactly what I say. I realized she could hear beans in her combud. The sclorna was hyperventilating, on the edge of panic. <laughs> Won't help you, he managed to say through ragged breaths. Fanaka aimed her second pistol at Skipper. Talk to your boy, she said. I don't want to kill any of you, but if you force my hand, I'll do what I have to do. Aya saw lines of red illuminate on Skipper's face. The red light made the mist around him glow. Gamma, he said. Do as she commands. What was happening? Why would Fanaka do this now? She was supposed to be friends with Goldman and the Skipper. Sackacorn, her hands up, palms out, took a tentative step closer. The gravity is back on, she said. The bad guards will swarm in here at any moment. If they catch you here, I'm screwed. So figure out your drama on your ship after you leave. And before you go, you better give me my... Fanaka moved the pistol pointed at Skipper, aimed it instead at Sackacorn. The doctor's eyes widened. Whatever courage she'd mustered to speak suddenly vanished. You moron, Fanaka said. My communication to you was exceedingly clear. You were told to not mention gemstones, were you not? Sackacorn blinked, stared at the pistol aimed at her face. Just pay me, she said, a pleading tone coloring her voice. We're out of time. You get nothing if I don't make it out of here in one piece, Fanaka said. I'll stash them at the airlock. After we're gone, your original plan would still work to free someone else, right? Sackacorn nodded slowly. Eventually, there will be some other prisoners that my boss will pay to spring, Fanaka said. So go back to your quarters, or your medbay, or wherever you have to be so you don't get caught. You're more valuable to me alive than dead, but not by much. Sackacorn stood there a moment, perhaps weighing her options, perhaps deciding if it was worth risking a bullet in the face to get paid. Then she turned and ran off into the mist, vanishing from sight. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Honorary 
remote island in Frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Aya started to shiver. She felt cold. Her thigh was numb, yet still hurt. Fanaka's revolver remained leveled at Aya's face. Fanaka's other revolver swung back to aim at the skipper again. Gamma, Fanaka said, remote into the ship and unload my personal cargo from the hold. Do it carefully. There'd better not be a scratch on it, or your comms genius will get a second bullet hole. Make it quick, because the first bullet hole will kill her if she doesn't get help soon. Alpha, you communicate with Beta and let her know I'm in charge. She's not to try anything. Personal cargo. Her suicide rocket. She'd avoided saying there were two vessels involved in this rescue. Why? Aya heard Zan's voice in her combud. I am coming in, Zan said. She cannot hear me. I am muting her reception when I talk. Delay her for three minutes. I will use my interior schmuck to... No, Skipper said. Plenty loud enough for everyone to hear. Beta, stay where you are. Do not try to come in. Keep prepping our ship for evac. Gamma, whatever this woman wants, do it. The ruined Schmeck sat up slightly, severed leg still leaking fluid. The Schmeck's chest looked scored and heavily damaged, but perhaps Zan's dragonfly had taken the brunt of the explosion, as Zaya saw no holes in the metal plate in front of where Beans piloted the contraption. The little guy was probably going to have one hell of a headache, though. Aye, aye, Skipper. I'm doing this b- b- because you told me to, not because this backstabbing human bench did. Aya felt a wave of dizziness, there and then gone. Her hand was slowing the blood loss, not stopping it. And her hand was getting tired from the constant pressure. Skip, I'm not doing that great. The red-lined face, the face of a demon of the devil himself, turned to look at Aya. Through the ruby glow, she saw his eyes soften. Hang on, he said. My crew never quits. Hang on. Simple words, downright cheesy words, but something in them stirred something inside Aya. She could be strong, at least for a little while longer. Goldman took a step to his left, coming out from behind Skipper. You're with them, the white man said. You're with the Vermada. How could you do this, Hopscotch? Panaka winced slightly at the nickname, or perhaps at the tenderness and hurt in Goldman's words. It's even worse than that, she said. It's Thorne. He killed my husband. He has my kids. If I don't deliver you two to him, he'll kill them. I'm sorry to do this to you, but this is how it is. There is no other option, no other outcome. The woman had seemed confident before, immensely so, a powerful sentient who knew exactly what she was doing. No longer, Taya, Fanaka sounded like a woman 
who'd had her soul ripped out. You could have told me, Skipper said. We could have found him, fought him together, just like before. Fanaka sneered. I knew you could do this mission, but go up against Thorn? You have no idea what he's become. You have no idea what you have become. Skipper took an almost imperceptible sliding step forward. Fanaka didn't react by further threatening him. Instead, she took a step closer to Aya. As drug-addled as you are, I know you can still take me, Fanaka said. But if you make one more move toward me, I'm plenty fast enough to kill your precious comms operator. Skipper seemed to vibrate with anger, but he moved back. Thorn is behind the doomsday device, Goldman said. That's the only way this makes sense. He wants the information I have, wants to know what I told the bats. Fanaka nodded. You always were perceptive, Goldman. As for you, Alpha, Thorn doesn't give a damn how I bring you back. Dead or alive, he doesn't care. You're both going to come with me, quietly and without fuss. If you do that, I'll let everyone else leave in peace. Fanaka hadn't said the word Olerin. She also hadn't used Aya's name, or Bean's, or Zan's for that matter. She'd used Goldman's, but that didn't matter. When the bats did a cell check and found the man gone, there would be no mystery as to who escaped. Fanaka was quietly sending Skipper a signal that she meant what she said, that she wouldn't compromise the future of the Olerin and its remaining crew. If Skipper sacrificed himself, and Goldman. Gamma, Fanaka said, is my ship out of the dock? The ruined Schmeck wobbled a bit, rolling left and right on its back. Extraction successful, the Sklorno said. Would you also like me to pour you a Miller lager and fluff your shucking pillow while I'm at it? I willed Beans to shut up. Maybe he was still protected inside his armored cockpit, but she was looking down the barrel of instant death. Beta, Fanaka said, I know you can hear me. Verify that my cargo is unloaded. Another pregnant pause. Zan, like Sakacorn, was weighing her options. Beta, answer her, Skipper said, and tell the truth. The requested cargo is ready, Zan said. Fanaka glanced up and to the right. She blinked rapidly, reading information from her artificial eye, perhaps. I'm connected to my cargo, she said. Alpha, Goldman, there are two cold sleep pods. They're pre-programmed. Get in. Close the lids. Do it quickly. If I'm still here when the bats come, the wounded one is the first to die. Once I get the signal that you're locked in place, your crew can come get her. Skipper shook his head, hard. She needs first aid now, he said. Fanaka shrugged. Then you better move fast. Aya started to shiver. She couldn't feel her thigh at all anymore. Or her hand, for that matter. Was she still squeezing tight? She didn't know. Starling, but blink twice if you can hear me. Beans's voice, a husky whisper in her combat. Aya glanced the Schmeck's way. The Sklorno was still hidden inside the battered machine. She blinked twice. You're still here, Fanaka said to Skipper. 
If she dies, it's on you, so get moving. How could Fanaka stay so calm? Her family was in danger, or so she'd said, and the bats could sweep in here at any minute, yet she did not waver. The red glow on Skipper's face intensified, turned the mist around him into a ruby cloud. He was going to make a move. Goldman put a hand on Skipper's shoulder. She's got us, Goldman said. Come on, we have to move fast. Was Goldman giving up? Was he willing to sacrifice himself for people he'd never even met before? Beans, softly, in the combud. Distraction coming, Starling. Use your weapon. Use her weapon? What, the tough luck gun? Aya couldn't feel her own damn leg, and Beans wanted her to, what, to rush Fanaka, who was holding a pair of revolvers, one aimed right at Aya's face, and a sudden groan of old steel and the hiss of hydraulics. One of the big crab machines lurched toward Aya and Fanaka, steam shovel claws rising up. Fanaka aimed both pistols in Skipper's direction, and fired four times. Bam, 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 bam. Aya saw Skipper and Goldman run into the mist, dive for cover. The crab took another shuddering step, big, flat metal foot shaking the ground. Fanaka backed up, slowly, fired another shot toward where Skipper had fled into the mist. Without dropping either pistol, she flicked her wrists. Two mag grenades flew through the air and clanged home, one on the crab's right claw, the other on what looked like a front air intake grill. Starling, Bean said. Do it n -n now! Aya felt a burst of energy. Her pain vanished, and her thoughts cleared long enough to see her one objective, the tough luck gun. Both mag grenades exploded. Aya knew they had to make noise, a ton of noise, but she didn't hear the report. She lurched to hands and knees, dove for the tough luck gun. A sliver of her mind was aware of Fanaka seeing her, Turning, aiming, the cavern shuddered as the mining crab crashed down, three legs still, one kicking and twitching, as if the machine were a living thing in its death throes. Aya's hands locked on her favorite weapon. She rolled to her side, heard a gunshot, felt a distant burning pain in her right shoulder as she pointed the tough luck gun toward Fanaka and pulled the trigger. Dozens of multicolored rubber balls blazed out, smashing into Fanaka's chest, stomach, and shoulders. The woman flew backward like a rag doll, landed hard on her back, and slid across the grated floor. Aya's hearing returned somehow, and she heard the screeching hiss of metal on metal coming closer. Fanaka should have been down for the count, but she rolled to her feet, wobbled on unsure legs. Somehow, she had held on to both pistols. Both pistols, which were aimed at Aya. Idiot, Fanaka said. You cost me the lives of my children. You, the rapid, ground-trampling, heavy clank of mechanical feet. A second mining crab scrambled over the first one. Even as the squat mechanical monster rushed forward, its arms reached out, scoop claws lowering. Fanaka took a stumbling step backward, turned to run, but it was too late. The right claw rotated sideways and snapped, the top edge closing on Fanaka's chest, the bottom edge on her thighs. Aya heard a dozen bones break instantly. The woman tried to scream, but her collapsed chest offered no air. Fanaka's head quivered once, then lolled forward, blood spilling out of her mouth onto the shovel's dented metal and scratched paint. 
The shovel claw lifted, rotated. Fanaka's shattered legs dangled from one side, her wobbly head from the other. Fanaka was dead. The last of Aya's strength faded away. She fell to her back. Dim light up above. Were there clouds in here? Aya didn't remember clouds. Someone lifted her off the ground. She heard voices, wasn't sure where they were coming from. You messed with the wrong crew, bench. Goldman, get Epsilon to that machine. In my cloak's upper right pocket, there's a stim stick. Use it on her. Gamma, get that machine to get us out of here. I am picking up chatter. Those blasts were detected. Guards headed your way. They are trying to scramble the fighters, but cannot. Hurry. Zan was so calm, like Fanaka. Squished Fanaka. Aya's body jostled. Whoever was carrying her wasn't being very nice. A fresh wave of pain raged in her shoulder. The jostling stopped for a moment. Aya felt a sting in her neck. Oh, come on. She'd been shot a third time? Hang on, kid, Skipper said. You'll feel a rush in a few seconds. Gamma, go! The brief respite ended. The world beneath Aya lurched, and she heard the repetitive clang of big metal feet slamming down over and over again. Killian held on as best he could, one hand gripping the mining crab's cockpit roll cage, the other wrapped protectively around Aya. The cockpit had enough room for one human driver. Crammed into that space, Killian, Aya and Redwire, with beans on Red's lap, tentacles holding some kind of controller the Sklorno had taken from the ruins of his Schmeck. The killer and Redwire, together again, but there were no jokes. No bravado. No gallows humor. No, well, ain't this just like old times? Because it wasn't like old times. No lulls. No recoil. No hopscotch. Beta, come in. Zan's voice came back instantly on his combat. I am here, Skipper. Open the airlock. Already open and waiting, Zan said. I assume you will want Epsilon on the bridge. I will have a medkit waiting there. Just like Zan to all but read Killian's mind. Aya, barely twenty years old, with two bullet wounds losing blood fast, needed to be in the rejuve tank, ASAP, but there wasn't time for that. If the Oleron was going to escape this place in one piece, Aya had to be on that bridge. The girl squirmed, starting to come awake. Oh, shuck, she said. Skipper, this hurts. Aya squirmed in his arms as the stimulant started to kick in. Stay still, he said. You move too much and you'll bleed faster. He should have waited to give her the stim stick, but they were out of time. Aya, wounds and all, had to be at her station. Killian turned his head toward Beans, spoke just loud enough to be heard over the rattling, grinding sound of the mining machine. Can you take this thing on the surface? Put Fanaka in her ship. Beans turned two eyes toward Killian, kept the other two on the tunnel ahead of them. No, 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 need to go on the surface, Skipper, the Sklorno said. So softly, Killian had strained to hear. Her ship is still in hold three. I lied to her about unloading it. Zan was talking to me the whole time. Beans and Zan both had disobeyed a direct order, but Killian could worry about that later. He looked out at the mining crab's right shovel claw. 
With each jarring step, Fanaka's limp, dangling legs and her lolling head flopped and shifted. The claw had crushed both thighs and her chest as well. Up ahead, Killian saw the Olorans open airlock doors and past them, hold five. Beans brought the mining crab to a halt. Redwire slid out. His arms trembling, he reached up for Aya. Footballers were supposed to be in phenomenal shape. Several weeks bound and beaten in a dark prison cell apparently took the edge off proper physical conditioning. Killian lowered Aya into the man's arms. Get her to the bridge, he said to Redwire. Straight ahead, through the whole door. You'll see a lift. Take it to level three. You'll see the bridge hatch. It will be open. A mech will have a med kit waiting. Patch Aya up enough to keep working. We need her alive to get out of here. Red didn't ask questions. He took off, the squirming girl in his arms, a trail of blood spots on the hold floor marking their path. Killian slid out of the mining mech. Open the claw, he said. The battered metal lid lifted up. Killian looked at Fanaka's broken body. Any information she'd had on Thorn had died with her. I'll carry her, Killian said. Can you rig her ship to blow? Make it look like a problem with her punch driver or something. That will take some time, Bean said. We don't have time. A thought struck him, one rooted in Fanaka's betrayal and the sentient behind it. Get it done, fast, Killian said. And the first chance you get, you find Fanaka's watchpot and immobilize it. Make sure it can't send or receive signals of any kind. I want you to examine it later. It might have information we need. With that, Killian lifted the body of his former friend, his old comrade, his ex-lover. Now she was just one more corpse lining the long road of his past. She had done so much for the anti-Kretorakian movement. Despite her betrayal, Fanaka, Hopscotch, Tolvaj should have had a hero's funeral. Instead, her remains would be used as a decoy. No honor among thieves. Killian entered the bridge, rushed to his chair, the small bag of gemstones he'd found on Fanaka rattling in his pants pocket. Zan's skinny schmeck was at the navigator station. I was at her station as well, bloody hands working her comm skins. Red wire was on one knee next to her, a med kit open on the floor, bloody bandages all around him. He had blue nanocyte material pressed against her thigh, was wrapping it tight with white gauze. Aya, Killian said. Get into their system and tell me what they're doing. What the shuck do you think I'm doing, you shucking piece of wrinkled-up gristle? The stim had definitely hit home. Killian activated the pilot controls. Icons flared to life in front of him. Zan, get us out of here, he said. He would take over flight controls soon enough, but for the moment, he needed to keep all of his attention on the evolving situation. I'm in their system, Aya said. Their fighters are still locked down. Bats are in the maintenance tunnels heading our way. ETA, 45 sec- She turned fast, screamed at Red Wire. Oh, ow, you dirty, white-skinned, shucking a-hole! Red leaned back. Sorry, I had to tie it down tight. Now I need to do your shoulder. Aya glared at him, clutched at her wounded thigh. Aya! Killian barked. Eyes on your instruments. Her hands returned to the skins. She was so stimmed out, she was shaking. Red Wire didn't bother asking Aya to take off her shirt. He grabbed it and ripped it, exposing the wound. 
If anyone knew how to dress a wound under duress, it was Redwire. High One knew the man had enough experience. The Oleron shuddered slightly as Zan lifted it free from the airlock's mooring clamps. The ship shook again as Zan let off chemical burners. The torque was enough to overpower the artificial grab briefly, throw Killian sideways in his seat. His hip banged against the armrest, sent a wave of pain through his belly and leg. If that was the worst damage he'd taken all of this, he'd count himself lucky beyond measure. We are up and out, Zan said. The ship banked hard, slamming Killian against the other armrest, then all returned to normal. I'm taking the helm, he said. He held his hands forward, control icons flared to life. He called up the Oleron's rear view, had it displayed on the front windshield. The asteroid was already fading away. He saw no pursuit. Aya, how long do we have until they can scramble fighters? Can't say for sure, you worthless old bag of urine, she said. Her words coming out pulse gun fast. Could be an hour, could be less, but I'd shucking bet we have at least 30 shucking minutes before they can even grab their privates with both hands. 30 minutes. With the Oleron's acceleration rate, that was enough. The borehole ships would never find them. Unless the bats had a warship in close proximity, it was over. But if Killian had learned one thing in his many missions, it never hurt to be sure. He toggled a switch on the armrest. Beans, how's it coming? There was a brief pause before the Sklorno's voice came back, thin and muffled. Her ship was a flying matchbox, Skipper. Give me ten more minutes. I'll depressurize the hold, send her out, close the hold, and then she'll go ba-boom-a-boom-a-zoom-zoom. Fanaka's ship. Fanaka's body inside. With any luck, the bats would detect the wreckage, investigate, and find some biomaterial. There was only one way to make it better. You've got five minutes, Killian said. He turned in his seat in time to see Aya throw an elbow that bounced off Redwire's broad, void-cloak-covered chest. You stupid, shucking snowball, she screamed, as she rubbed at her freshly banded shoulder. Where did they teach you how to wrap up a shucking wound, you goddamn clumsy shucking piece of shuck? Redwire raised his hands, took a step back. I think I've done all I can, he said. Not quite. Killian stood. You stopped her bleeding. Now I need you to start some of your own. Come with me. We need you to leave the bats a going away present. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram where he is at Scott Sigler and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler. Engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.